Welcome to Shoot First Talk Later, the photo shoot podcast with me, Robert Gershenson. My guest this episode is Jesus Lopez. He's a Spanish-born filmmaker. He's living in London and he's making fashion-infused films with titles like The Eggplant, Litost and Out. He's inspired by queer cinema gods John Waters and Pedro Amadova. And he's leading a new wave of alternative culture films that has garnered about 40 festival appearances and multiple awards. If you want to see the portraits I've just shot of Jesus, head to www.sftl.photos. Also, in the app that you've got this podcast from, hit subscribe, then you're never going to miss an episode. We've done the shooting, now let's do the talking. Hello, Jesus. Hello, how are you? I'm good, you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> I'm more relaxed now after the shoot. <laughs> and you've got a glass of red wine in front of you. Yep. <laughs> um, so your your films are, they're unmistakably influenced by John Waters and, and Pedro Amadova. Yeah. Have I pronounced that right? Uh, Pedro Almodovar. Almodovar. You see, yeah. you got you got that you got that <laughs> Spanish, Spanish lilt that I have, yeah. and I'm like you know like I'm like overseas asking chips in a Spanish restaurant. <laughs> um, just talk me through when you when you discovered their their work. Yeah, um, Almodovar came much much earlier than John Waters for me. Um, I had seen John Waters films when I was a teenager, sort of when I um, started to to watch stuff online on trailers like basically with the arrival of the internet okay um and i had read about him before because i knew that he had influenced almodovar as well very early on his career oh really yeah i didn't know that yeah yeah <laughs> john uh, waters had influenced pedro almodovar yeah so I pedro almodovar started doing his first film is a very punk film called pepe lucy bomb del Monton. I'm not sure about the English title. Okay, that's a very but long anyway, Spanish title. It is, yeah. So it, he shot it over the period of two years, uh-huh. and everybody uh, chipped in to to finance the film. And there are some record mistakes, such as like some. Uh, I know that one of the actresses, like in one scene, she's got a different haircut, and then in the next scene, it's like. I don't know. She has like longer hair. Probably because it was like a year in between the Maybe. two takes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, literally everybody chipped in to make this film possible. And it, you can say it's kind of like an early crowdfunding okay. thing. Oh. But the attitude towards yeah. uh, the making of the film, the, the, the themes that um, it touches, um, and the, the way it is shot is very, very punk, which is very related to how John Waters shot his first movies as well in America. So it was like a few years before Almodovar. So we're talking John Waters, like Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, or... That's like um, the early 70s. Multiple Maniacs, yeah, it's like yeah. early 70s. And then uh, Almodovar's first first film is late 70s, early 80s. Okay, yeah. so there's a, there's so a, there's there's a, a decent... Chunk yeah. of a decade there in between yeah. the two of them. That's right. So, do you remember the first John Waters film you saw? I yeah, I believe it was uh, Pink Flamingos. Yeah, God. I mean it's his most famous one from his trash yeah. trilogy, as they call it. Yeah, there's Pink uh, Flamingos, Female Trouble, and Female Trouble, Desperate Living. Desperate Living. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if M- Multiple Maniacs is included in that as well. I never hear it. Yeah, I mean no. it's only it only it only got a re-release this year. Yeah, yeah. I want it to been see event, it unavailable. I've never seen it. Oh, okay. I've seen everything from it. Pink Flamingos and on. Yeah. Um it's it's quite interesting. Your your first was Pink Flamingos, which is like John Waters fans kind of fall into two categories. They're either 
like there are either people like you and I who know about you know the insane early films yeah. where um, you know with divine and, and shot on 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 the, on on a shoestring budget yeah or if you say to John Waters oh yeah I love hairspray yeah but it, that doesn't necessarily sum up who he was back then no yeah my first one was serial mum oh, okay yeah yeah so for it's a, a time film. it's it's I think it's his best of the the post divine era. Yeah. As I think he's made a better film since Serial Mum. Since, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's 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 funny that I for for a time I fell into the latter camp, which is I would say I was a John Waters fan because I like Serial Mum and Cecil mm. be de, uh, Cecil oh, be Cecil demented. Be demented. Yeah, I love um, that one. Not necessarily the early one. So I I was quite shocked when I got the the Region One DVD box set about ten years or so oh, ago. Oh well, yeah, they're impossible to get now. Well, Apparently. I've got it, and you're not having it. Yeah. <laughs> have you got it? Because I know some DVDs are in there. I do have some DVDs from John Waters here, but I I don't have the early stuff. No, I would love to, and I, it's been on my wish list for ages. But yeah, I just I'll lend them to you. Yeah, you can get them. Yeah. Um, I had to have it. Had to have it like imported via Amazon. I paid through the nose for it. Okay. It was quite. Yeah, it was quite yeah. pricey for for that. It was like thirty quid. Yeah. Yeah. For it's like. You can now get multiple maniacs, by the way. You can, yes. Yeah, that yeah. came out this year. Yeah, even on yeah. Blu-ray, I think. And they showed it at the BFI, didn't they? Yeah, I was there. You were there. Yeah. God, and he that? came to present it. Really? Yeah, it was the second time that I've seen him in in real life. And what was the first? Well, the first one I was in Liverpool in 2013. Yeah. Because my short film Ephemeral Nature played before the documentary I Am Divine. <laughs> at. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is a really cool story. <laughs> and uh, it was um, part of a festival called Homotopia Arts in yeah. Liverpool, run by Gary Everett. He's mm -hmm. a brilliant uh, man. Um, we've become friends since. And yeah, he just saw my film online and invited me over to the festival for a weekend. And then he offered, he said that they had uh, an entire weekend dedicated to John Waters and that he was coming. And uh, yeah, we went to see his one-man show at the theater. And then I remember joking with my partner, Victor. How oh, can you imagine if like tonight we end up having like some drinks with, with John Waters? And it happened. <laughs> yeah. so God, what having, was that like? It was brilliant. It was like very surreal. Um, he's, was a he, very, he's probably quite down to earth in that respect. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you can tell he's kind of become like a, a, a character, kind of like his own caricature kind of thing. Yeah. Um, over the past 15 years or so yeah, yeah yeah because he he does a lot of like these one-man shows and comedy shows which is basically him talking about pop culture and his influences and like current just funny generic funny stuff and then yeah we were in this sort of like um a private room in the hotel where we were staying oh, the aye. hotel was also a sponsor of the uh -huh. uh, festival and and the general manager of the hotel just kept on bringing gin and tonics for everyone. And like <laughs> then John Waters stayed with us for a while, but you could tell that everybody who was there were all like queer artists from different mediums. So I was, you know, filmmaker. There were some uh, people doing like painting, photography, and everybody was involved in some way in the festival. Yeah, and we were all huge fans of John Waters. So does he take it in his stride, or does he find it a bit? Okay, I know you're fans of me, but I, I want you to, you know, two meters away from me, please. No, no, no. He was really, uh, really, really close. Yeah, he, he told us a few anecdotes. He was laughing and he talked about 
I don't know, getting his um, suit in, in London, like he bought a really crazy... Oh, he does wear crazy clothes, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I think it was Dries Van Noten. Or, yeah. But anyway, yeah, he was just really funny. But most people were like really impressed that he was there, including myself. Like, yeah. So impressed that you can barely like ask any questions. Because it's like, wh- what do you ask? Like you, I've read so much about him and I don't want to like bore him either because he must be tired of talking about himself all the time and well a he's probably tired of talking about himself unless he's been paid to talk about himself yeah but also like you said if you've read so much about him what do you ask him like did divine really eat dog shit at the end of because he'll just say have you not read a book have you have you not watched any of my dvds yeah yeah no but he did tell a funny anecdote about uh catherine turner during the filming of uh, serial mom yeah that you mentioned earlier and it's that they were shooting in uh, Baltimore and apparently they spent most of their budget in in getting her to star in the film wow she was a huge star at the yeah. time as well already um and then apparently they took her to a, a cocktail bar in Baltimore and then she asked uh, asked the, the, the waiter oh hey I've heard that you make the best um I can't remember if it was like gin and tonics or like martinis in town and he was like yes we do like really friendly <laughs> and then she turned her face into like bitch face and she went prove it he got really scared yeah, as um, you would. so you went from you went from watching john waters mm-hmm. um actually so just one thing how did you discover it did someone recommend it to you or did you stumble on it on 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 tv or i think it was reading about almodovar okay and he was referencing and then he was referencing john waters and then I w- and just reading generally about uh pop art and how yeah. they've both been influenced by um by the pop art of the 60s like in america like andy warhol and mm-hmm. their stars so andy warhol was really Tanga. yeah yeah uh, exactly yeah but i think they, they both talk about andy warhol uh, as a, like an early hero Walters knew him, didn't he? I think so, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I mean, Divine was shot by Andy Warhol yeah. and hung out with him in Studio 54. And like, it was like a dream come true kind of thing uh, for them both. Um, so in terms of Pedro Amadova, he's Spain's sort of biggest film export mm-hmm. to here and, and to America. Correct. So is it just a given that everyone in Spain likes his movies? Actually, funny that you say that. There's so many people uh, who despise his movies or criticize him. or um, He's very well um, respected now, but as often, I think it happens in many countries, but especially in, in Spain, it, one has to be internationally recognized so that is appreciated at home. Oh, really? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. So and if, I think if he hadn't been famous here and in America, people just wouldn't give a shit? Uh, no, he's still very important to to especially to the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. in Spain. Um, obviously, they are, we are the ones who embrace embrace um, um, his movies first. Yeah. And, um, obviously, to me, like he was already making movies when I was born, so I've grown up watching his films, and he he was the only filmmaker for me in Spain where I could sort of see a representation of just like you know um gay stories or like lgbt in general so is that is that is that one of the major reasons why you sort of veered towards his work definitely yeah i think he he made me feel um like i could look up to 
gay relationships uh, being healthy and being you know just part of a narrative like they don't i wouldn't describe his films as gay films like one of one of his most famous films is uh, all about my mother and there are gay elements and there's always this queer um sensibility towards um his narratives but they are not necessarily gay it's just it's more i like more the fact that gay narratives are just included in his films that's it like they don't have to be the protagonist although they are like uh, love desire was probably one of the first films where i saw just two men kissing having sex and just been you know having the usual i don't know relationship just part of the the general story yeah not any specific lgbtqi aspect uh well this one in particular love desire is is mm-hmm. is purely an lgbt story yeah it's like two a romance between two gay men were you out when you started to get into John Waters and, and, and Pedro Amadova? Um No, because I was a teenager, so I still... It wasn't very clear to me that I was gay. So this I was, was like the surprised. 90s, am I right? Uh, well, I was born in 96. Were you? <laughs> 86, sorry. In, and 96. No, not 96. <laughs> I wish, no. <laughs> um, I don't know, early 2000s, I guess. Okay. Yeah, late 90s makes sense i think it was late 90s when i got really really hooked by um all about my mother yeah. that is the film that i've watched the most i rewatched it last week oh did you yeah okay. actually no but been early no earlier this week okay yeah yeah um i hadn't seen it maybe in 10 years yeah i want to rewatch it sometime soon but yeah i've, I've read the script a couple of times That's I, the I, one think I know some the of the dialogues yeah and I, I connect with it the most because it came at a very crucial time in my life and it was the time when we were um, going from VHS to DVD mm-hmm. and, uh, and um, then linking it to my personal life as well. My, my parents had just got divorced and like my, my dad had left home and, um, and I think over the years I realized how important this movie was for me because um, my mom bought like a DVD player and DVD players at the time came with a few DVDs. Oh, really? Yeah, I was, was about like to say they were really pricey. Three, yeah, it was like pricey, I guess, at the time. I remember like her paying it installments and stuff like that. Um, but it was like obviously like the 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 home cinema period. So uh-huh. if you had a DVD player, it came with a few speakers and like it made like your living room into a cinema experience. Okay. So it came with three spanish um cinema dvds so they were obviously promoting spanish cinema to have at home as well and one of these dvds was all about my mother so for a time you know it was much cooler to watch a dvd than a vhs (laughs) and we had both (laughs) so i kept i watched this movie over and over and over and it just never got enough and every time i watched it i saw something different and i learned something new but you knew about pedro before then yeah yeah, yeah i did okay. i did i had watched um i think um on like his movies on tv okay yeah um like what women on the verge of a nervous breakdown what is it specifically about all about my mother that you connect with um uh, i think it's it's very i don't know there are so many so many things um it's is a it? movie about women and i was i i lived my life in a small town as well um surrounded by women like the strongest female characters in my family were always my grandma martina my mom 
Maria Angeles, and then my si my younger sister Rocío. So I was always surrounded by women as well. And this movie is all about women. Um, it's almost like men don't exist. And then the protagonist of the film spent her most of the film looking for her son's dad, who has actually transitioned into a woman. So it's yeah. like you know the twist in the twist, <laughs> which is something that I love about Almodovar. And then the whole film is just such a beautiful. It's like a poem to to women and to actresses and to women who act. And um, he has said in many interviews that um, he was also surrounded by women and he w he used to go to the river with his mom and uh, and all the neighbors from, from his hometown to wash clothes and they would sing songs and and told each other stories and that how sometimes through little lies or white lies they would keep families afloat and like men were almost like not in the narrative they were just like working in the fields or whatever <laughs> like you know just being there to bring money into the household his films are quite tragic i find mm -hmm. there's a lot of tragedy in his films and in in all about my mother it opens with uh, a mum celebrating the the birthday of her son the son goes they go to the theater to see um, this this his favorite actress and he goes to get an autograph of the woman of the the actress she ignores him and he's run over and killed yeah and that kind of spurs that's i guess the turning point for the mum's life exactly and then throughout like penelope cruz is in it i can see a picture of penelope cruz on your mm -hmm. wall her story is pretty damn tragic as well yeah so even though it, it's it might be a love letter to women but there's so much tragedy in, mm -hmm. in all his films. Yeah. Is that quite appealing? Uh, they, I don't think they are. It's more about overcoming tragedy more than the tragedy itself. It's more about, I think, he, the way he, he, he writes he, the scripts is almost like he wants you to em empathize with, 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 um, with women, uh, you know, and, and to show them as human beings uh who have the same problems that men usually have in, yeah. in in most like mainstream cinema um and how they are um heroes as well in their own terms so i think for a mother to overcome her son's death um i mean what's more tragic than that and how they there is like a very strong sense of uh how is it, like sorority like you know like strength like sisterhood Sisterhood, yeah. yeah, that's that's the word. Uh, so very strong bonds um, between women, and I'm like I've seen I've seen that in my own life as well. So I kind of see that reflected. And I kind of I understand why he he does that. I yeah. think women support each other no matter what. Do you think they support each other more than men? Possibly, yeah, yeah. Is I that think the experience in your life that the women yes, will support you more? Women usually uh, are more open and willing to open up their hearts and their souls and they, they they share each other's fears and um they can talk about their feelings much more than men and i think we've yeah we're we're brought up like that we're you know it's okay for a girl to cry but you know boys don't cry right is that how you were brought up yeah definitely um yeah and that's why i always felt different because i was always quite sensitive and um i could I always felt different to all the other boys bef long before I even uh, knew I was gay. 
Like I did, I didn't know it had anything to do with sexuality because as a child you just don't think of it. Yeah. But I just felt like I was more sensitive. When did you get those first inklings? Um, uh, I think I remember being a uh, playing football and kind of like being forced by my dad to play football. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was like an attempt to my dad to like turn me straight. <laughs> um, oh, so you think your dad and your mum had they ideas? Both, yeah, definitely. I think they. I think parents know yeah. bef- long before you do. Yeah, because they see that I was I was always more into like painting. I used to take like painting lessons. I used to uh, just love anything artistic rather than like sports and doing like what all the other boys um, used to like. And then, yeah, being, in, being from a small town, it's, it's kind of like you have no choice. You have to like play sports if you want to be in anything like sociable with other boys and then until i was old enough i sort of like 15 i think or 16 when i decided to quit football and secretly i was like actually i'm enjoying (laughs) more and more the part when you go to the shower room (laughs) after the match i was like i know something like i can i start looking at boys in a different (laughs) way (laughs) yeah well there's a reason to stick at it yeah but uh at the same time i was like this is pretty scary i don't want to you know so did you did you know then you were gay uh yeah i had my i had the feeling but obviously i had never explored anything or that side of me so i was like i don't know when i'm older i'll I'll see but yeah i guess we all go through similar experiences at the beginning because we we are brought up in such a like heteronormative heteronormative society yeah it's like how the hell do i match this like how it's very similar to mine i was I always leant more towards the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, hated football. I used to bunk off football and go to the art room and carry on yeah. with my work. Um, but with me, I knew I was gay. It just took me about eight years mm-hmm. to accept it and then come out. Um, so how old were you when you came out? When I came out, what, to my parents? Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been 2002. I'm... 34 now so it's 19 okay yeah, yeah yeah it's a good age yeah yeah i think i was 21 or 22 when i came out to my to my mom and my sister but my friends came earlier what did your what were the reaction with your friends i mean did they, my, must, yeah, most they of, know? yeah most of my friends were fine um i remember moving to barcelona from a little city from a little town no i i did a few couple of moves before that so i went okay. to malaga first i i lived there for a year then i came to london for two years oh what year was this uh i think 2005 until 2008 okay so i was here um, I, I only meant to come here for a few months to sort of improve my english and stuff like that and like maybe have bigger chances of getting a better job or something uh-huh. i don't know and then while I was in London, I, I, I kind of started to, um, I got tired of working in hotels, even though I did work in a hotel one more year while in Barcelona, but I was already more and more inclined towards my artistic side. Yeah. So I was very into photography, fashion and movies. I never stopped being cinephile, um, cinephile. I, I loved watching movies over and over. Anyway, so I, once I, um, I came to London, I, I did explore more my gay side, but always oh, in the, in yeah. the closet. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So because you would sneak off from your friends and 
go Pre- down the gay bars or <laughs> pretty much yeah i did that a few times and then did you but make once friends I, I i yeah i did and i talked to people who really helped me find myself and uh-huh. think, you know this is okay and, and there's nothing wrong with it um, but i was only 19 and then i moved to barcelona uh, with the idea already that from now on this is the new me and i think it's easier when you meet new people to already present yourself as you are I yeah don't know if you agree with me so from that moment i went to barcelona and then you know i started sort of coming out without really being in you know what i mean so it, it wasn't the case of coming out you were just more confirming it yeah it was more like confirming because i, I knew it i was sure i was more sure of myself mm-hmm. i think i was always more like you try to like be sure of yourself first and then you can once you're like strong enough oh you, you have to you, you have to yeah completely you, you, there has to be an internal acceptance from by yourself before you can even say it out loud to yourself let alone someone else yeah because how can you present yourself how can you present your truthful self to someone if you don't have the confidence in your truthful self exactly so yeah. with so with, with with you do you feel that if you hadn't have come to london and then barcelona do you think you would still be in your little village living a closeted life uh no i don't think so i think sooner or later like the <laughs> gay beast inside you would have come out <laughs> the gay what? the gay beast, beast. Yeah, i don't know <laughs> no it's just a way of saying that it is something that you don't choose and it um the older you are the more confident that you get and and then at some point you would be simply um just being yourself like and and then you you get to a point where you just don't give a fuck like i i remember when i came out to my mom i was ready for her to stop talking to me if she had to because i was like it's more important to me to be me yeah and to be accepted if it's not really me and you know how did that go does she does she do a pedro amadova crazy <laughs> mom where she screamed and tore the walls down no, no. <laughs> not really but she did go through a bit of a dramatic uh period and um and she i remember her going oh well if you ever change your mind you know i'm here for you i'm like no mom, you're gonna. like that's the opposite like i'm i am the one who's telling you this is how i am yeah and you uh, either accept me for who I am or, you know, you've got, I told her, you've got your whole life to understand me. So if you don't understand me now, you will. But, you know, just think about it, like do whatever you have to do in order to understand. So she actually kind of um, in a very cute way, <laughs> she documented herself, took some books from the, from the library, oh, researched wow, that's, online, that's watched a few films. And I remember which films did she watch? <laughs> this is really funny but she had seen quite Pink a Flamingos, few um, right? <laughs> no. she had seen Almodovar films with me like I made her love Almodovar and understand him you made her love okay yeah yeah pretty much yeah because yeah. uh, a, a lot of like heterosexual people in Spain are like oh, he's just this gay filmmaker or you so know, also they there's, there's only like him. gay people whores uh, <laughs> transvestites or drag queens and yeah. transsexual people and like so what's what's wrong with that just camp. <laughs> you know yeah uh but anyway she um i remember the biggest dramatic thing that she did was running out uh to get some smokes to the nearest bar and she had quit smoking for a while and I know where that ended up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In your film Out, which we'll come on to yeah. a bit later. Um, did you then tell your dad quite soon after that? 
No, I actually have never told my dad because oh, really? we we don't have a relationship anymore. Oh, know? so you haven't seen him? I or you haven't spoken to him? I haven't really spoken to him since I'm like 18. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, it's quite personal, but yeah. We simply have different views on life and like, yeah. Yeah, he was kind of like a mean person. I just didn't want to have him around. And it's better to have that our, our, Yeah, out. our relationship just simply faded away. Like, I stopped calling. He never called back. God. And then years later, he has tried to sort of get back um, to have a relationship with me and my sister. But then, yeah. You're not interested? Not interested, yeah. I realized that we're just so different. Like, I've grown up to be such a different person to who I was um, 12 years ago. Yeah. You know, like, I've, I'm completely different, yeah. I've traveled so much, studied. I've become a filmmaker, which is my strongest <laughs> identity now, mm -hmm. what I live for. And um, he's just never been part of it. Although it is important that he was absent because it made me stronger. Do you think there could be a, a time when you reconcile? Or, uh, reconcile? Is that, I'm struggling with English yeah. now. Is that, is <laughs> yeah, that the word? I <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, 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 possibly. I don't know. I'm not, um, yeah, it's just that, I don't know, we live in different countries as well, and like, um, yeah. So he's back home in the, he's in the same little village? He's near, nearby, I think, yeah. If not the same, quite near. But you have contact with your mum? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. 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 She calls you every day? Pretty much, <laughs> too much. <laughs> no, yeah. on WhatsApp, you know. Good morning. <laughs> My mum hasn't discovered WhatsApp yet. <laughs> in, that, in that kind of period where you were sort of finding your feet with your sexuality, were you encouraged towards the art by your mum and dad or is that something that you just found completely on your own mm. uh no i think um since i was little i liked drawing and i used to say i want to be a painter and live in in, in like bohemian paris because i had read about the 1920s and like well the 1900s painters so i yeah. i i was like picasso was my idol and I was like really, really small. Oh wow! That's that's what I'm saying about being different. When other children's idols were like footballers, I was like, I love Picasso. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and yeah, I, I went to like uh, painting lessons. Uh, I wasn't particularly good, I guess, or I haven't really explored that side of me that much. But yeah, I remember my my dad actually bought me, or my parents bought me like um, how do you say like this like wooden stand? Oh, paint. easel. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, and some brushes and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I did paint uh, for a while. Uh, I remember getting a book about uh, Salvador Dali by accident. I don't know how it ended up in my hands, but I remember like going through um, his paintings and reading a little bit about his life. And I don't know why always the, the life of painters and like the bohemian side of life about living by and for your art always really really attracted me i can relate to that it's mm -hmm. i think it i think it touches on not wanting to be part of a pre-established rule yeah. and a pre-established society mm -hmm. if we you know we both grew up in a in a straight society mm -hmm. telling us this is this is how it should be x y and z yeah. and us feeling no we are a b and c mm -hmm. so with that in mind, why would we want to then suddenly be part of 
the same rules that everyone else does. Yeah. Like I have a real problem with authority. I hate being told what to do. Yeah. 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 Um, do you have that same? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah. <coughs> I'm not a um, huge fan of like police and things like that. I don't know. Like I always feel like we should be better than that as a soci- society. Like we shouldn't need this much authority, but obviously at some point we, we do because some people are just, <laughs> you know, mad mad yeah <laughs> but yeah i do i do f- i always felt like the way society is constructed like i'm not gonna fit in like i could sense it from very early on mm. um and it's in is basically the heteronormativity yeah and it's like you have to study you have to get a good job so that you can buy a house and have a car and then have a family i'm like i just never felt like that and then obviously once your sort of gay identity comes in place and then you realize who you are and stuff like that, then you then you definitely know that you're different and that you're not going to fit into all of that. So when did you start moving over towards, you, you said you're in, you, you were painting, when did it start edging towards, I could make my own films? Uh, it was, so when I moved to London, I, I started uh, a media degree at the University of the Arts. London. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, UAL. Yeah, UAL. So I, I did a, uh, I did part time four years instead of three, and during the the end of year one, towards uh, or or maybe it was the beginning of the second academic year. Anyway, I I was encouraged by a teacher to, um, to do a film for a for a unit called creative media. Uh-huh. So we had to use a fashion brand, and and create like a narrative. So at the beginning, I I said. Um, I'm gonna do um, a, a photo shoot, like an editorial, and then I I had like a one-to-one tutorial with my teacher, and I told him this hi- whole story and like the inspiration behind it, and like I talked about divine and like um, and gender politics and blah blah, and like how <laughs> a lot of like queer artists in- inspire me, and then he told me, oh, then you should watch um, Paris is Burning and and watch this and watch that, and like he gave me a lot more stuff to to um to watch and to research and to expand on my n- the knowledge that or the little knowledge that I already had but he he was the one his name is Tony and he he really changed my life a little bit in 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 a in a, in a way because he said you know just research it and i think the story what you're telling me it's so big it must be told through film wow because i think an editorial will not be enough to express everything that you're saying. And that's how I came to do my first film um, titled Ephemeral Nature that I talked about earlier. What was what was in the film? So it's about a couple um, sort of middle-aged or in their 50s, yeah, um, in living in London. They live in a sort of a big maisonette and they come home and they transform into their true selves so people think they dress up at home but to me what i wanted to express is that they dress up for society outside they pretend to be normal yeah <laughs> but actually uh they're they're just being themselves at home so the husband plays um um a drag queen and um his name is jeff christian that was our first collaboration of oh, so quite a few that yeah, came later. He, you've, you've used him before, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Since, rather. I like to think that he's my kind of divine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does it, do you uh, tell him that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very happy <laughs> with it. We we really trust each other and we've become friends as well. Where did you, you discover him? 
he he plays um he used to perform a couple of times a week i think at a small cabaret bar uh, slash pub in uh, soho uh called, called molly mox oh it's yeah. closing down i know it's really again sad. it's only just opened again i know yeah but they kind of yeah they've done it twice i hope they <coughs> reopen and it, it, it's a very um it's the oldest gay pub in it's the london. oldest gay pub in london yeah, yeah. and i think it's like been open the since like 1700s 1700s yeah. yeah i actually i read a, a book that they mentioned it and they i can't remember how it was called but like the in that time um they used to call mollies to uh, basically very flamboyant or camp gay guys oh like yeah. us yeah yeah <laughs> a little bit <laughs> so from that that first film what came next after that i did another one uh titled i'm in love mm-hmm. which and i casted uh somebody i knew from uni jose vickert he's a professional model and he's uh very androgynous uh he can play both uh, boys and girls um and i remember at the time andre pejic or pejic i'm not sure how you pronounce it who is now andrea pejic she's a transgender model okay who was i don't know like i remember yeah she is um but anyway he he came on board on uh, very early on on the project i i met a designer whose name is paula gervase and she designs uh for a brand called 1205 okay and is a unisex so i thought oh it would be it would be brilliant to do a fashion film for for you of course you were at the fashion end of ual yeah i did okay yeah i did uh it it was the my course was fashion media okay that makes sense why it was all and it was london london college of fashion yeah that makes sense so it was it was just a media degree but every project had to include in some way some sort of fashion some sort of fashion yeah esque yeah so you made two fashion films Mm -hmm. did you did you feel confident from the get-go or or how long how long into you know how far after did you feel that you were beginning to see a personal style emerge because mm. your films have a, a particular look about them i can definitely see a, a personal style that's unique to you mm-hmm. okay that's good <laughs> to know yeah because even though i take inspiration on, on all the filmmakers that you've mentioned and others like Xavier Dolan or Wonka Wai and so many others uh, that exactly. i probably don't even yeah remember <laughs> uh because unconsciously everything you watch everything that you see everything you hear you read um it influences you yeah but i i always always try to like if i watch something as an, that inspires me i may write something down but i don't tend to like rewatch it just before i shoot so that i can copy somehow the way they've done it i i rather let it be in the back of my mind and then if it something comes up then fine I'm not uh, ashamed of saying, yeah, I got inspired by this or that. But I always try to be as honest as possible with what I do. So I do write my own stories and I and I try to make them as personal as possible. Because one can only talk properly about your own things, your own experiences mm-hmm. and your own feelings. And yeah. And then I guess being vulnerable is a sentiment that I always try to go back to. The p- um, people being vulnerable. Yeah, or like yourself being vulnerable. Yeah. So you, as the filmmaker, being vulnerable in the sense that the work on screen is a sort of uncensored you. Is that is that what you're saying? Um, a little bit, I guess, yeah. 
but it, it took me a while to realize that at the beginning I was like oh it's got nothing to do with me but um how could you think that I don't know <laughs> I, because I, I I don't know why I guess you're just being a little bit like shy about um calling yourself a filmmaker and like it took me a while it was almost like a coming out experience when I started telling people I am a director and that's what I want to be and that's what I'm gonna push for doing and keep on doing and keep on learning because it's such a um it's such a crazy dream it's like a, a very difficult thing but I don't see it as um difficult as being a surgeon or a doctor or, or an astronaut you know mm. like or a scientist you know like everything is difficult every every path that you choose in life is difficult it's just that people tend to like um put you in a box and say oh this is so hard like and you're not like the son of anyone to become one i think i put myself in a box because it resonates with me when you just said there that it took you what it took you a long time to to say i am a filmmaker mm -hmm. it took me a long time to say i'm a photographer mm -hmm. because to me a photographer was a professional mm -hmm. who was doing it as their full-time job and i wasn't I was getting freelance jobs, but I was also working in a shop. Mm -hmm. So to me, the the major money, where where the actual bulk of the money was coming from for me was from the, my job at Apple, and it took me a long time to to know actually I am a photographer. I just happen to also mm -hmm. work in a shop. Yeah. Do, do you think that confidence? You can't be given that confidence. You have to find it yourself, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, you have to find it, and I think your your example is very good, and I can definitely relate to it. And I think I'm sure many of the creative people listening to this will also. And when you, yeah, it is the same with me. Like, I mean, I still work a Monday to Friday job um, in a reception uh, because it really is an easy job, and uh, I made a conscious decision of going for this type of job and because I had done it before in hotels and stuff like that. And I was like, if I find a place that is quite enough so that I can at least do the necessary paperwork to submit my films to festivals or submit my ideas for funding or uh, just write when I can, which is, it has become increasingly difficult and I cannot really write while I'm at work. But at least if I come at home or, I, or on the weekends, my mind is not on my work the one that pays the bills you have you a, know you have a cutoff time in the evening and then you don't yeah. work weekends. and then it's perfect ex it's perfect because i yeah. i just i'm all i'm while i'm at work i'm i can be thinking and thinking and thinking of stories yeah and i can read even if it's just one article that interests me a day it's already like i try to do one step every day that it takes one, me closer that's, to that's one more story that you didn't have when you woke up that that morning yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, I I can completely relate to that. When when I used to work at Apple, um, I never worked before four o'clock in the afternoon because I did the evening shift, uh -huh. and then I worked you know some week most weekends, but not always every day, every weekend. So I had I had that that cutoff time. It was perfect. Mm -hmm. I just don't think I appreciated it when yeah. you're in that kind of headspace where you have that kind of anxiety about. Yeah what's going on how am i going to do this yeah um that kind of negative voice in the back of your mind that yeah. that goes you can't do this what do you think you're doing you're shit yeah. how do you combat that uh it's it's very hard to yeah i i, I still have struggle with it sometimes because um believe it or not many many people think that 
if you work somewhere else then you are not being successful at what you do but i think success can be read in many many um ways and whereas most people think of success as uh, economic only to me it's, it's a complete different thing like you must not confuse uh, what you do with who you are and in the in, in in the sense that for many people that see me maybe on a daily basis at work i'm just a receptionist and some people don't even bother talking to me some people don't even say good morning for that that's all right you then know? they don't disturb you, you can get exactly your, no your i film actually paperwork. rather i'm like leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> yes good morning again anyway and and i'm like con- trying to be concentrated in my on my own things and it's very important that you keep focused on what you want to do mm. And that every day you do something that takes you closer to where you want to be. And uh, and it doesn't matter if you're not earning money at first uh, doing your art, whether, it, whether it's photography or painting or filmmaking like myself. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like you're still, when you're, when you're shooting, when you're creating something, anything, um, you're doing it for yourself first. Like it's, um, like you, you, you feel better, you feel, I feel happier. Even though at times when I'm being most creative, I feel down, I don't know, or melancholic or there is something inside. I don't know, like something inside me when you're like down or sad, it pushes you farther or like it makes you delve deeper into yourself. I guess it forms part of the creative process for me. I don't know why. If I'm like feeling really happy and everything is going well and blah, blah, I'm like, I'm just not inspired. Oh, before you get too too comfortable. Yeah, you get too comfortable. That's it. Yeah. maybe it's kind of maybe it's a similar thing that a deadline will always make you work harder yeah i guess it's similar yeah maybe when, when you're feeling a bit emotional it's almost like you're 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 more open yeah and you can't i mean in order to create any artistic endeavor mm-hmm. i think you've, you've definitely got to open yourself a little bit yeah and it can't just all be the good feelings can it no it's got to yeah. be the the, the fucking shit ones as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> that make us want to kill ourselves yeah um, we're all humans after all so sorry yeah. we're, we're all humans yeah exactly so we, you know we have to really um discover and, and see how we feel and to me in, in a way it's kind of like um i don't know it helps you get through the day it's um when you when you're feeling down and you're maybe you're on many many occasions like oh fuck i'm sorry i shouldn't say it. I, yeah. you can swear it's fine i can swear i'm like oh fuck why am i still doing this job like i've done so much stuff like mm. i can i've proven myself enough i think to to maybe be living as as a filmmaker but then other days i'm like i live as a filmmaker like on so many occasions i i'm away from work because i'm presenting my work across the globe on a in a film festival and i didn't even pay for my plane ticket you know because i'm being sponsored or like yeah spanish embassies in in south africa or in canada lately have been kind enough to sponsor me because i'm presenting my work in there so it's like that's awesome and then all those little things they make you feel okay with yourself and it's like it doesn't matter like this is just a job tell me about the Kickstarter campaign for Out. Yeah, so Out was, uh, I, I wrote it in 2014, I think. Although I think the first bit, I, I wrote it on like a um, small notebook that I was carrying with me. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's exactly the scene how the film starts. I wrote um, just how I felt 
when I came out to my mom and then I was coming back to Barcelona at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was taking a bus to Madrid, then then take a plane or something. Because the film opens it, with it opens on a bus the young bus lad stop. coming to see his mum and they're at a bus stop. They're at the bus stop and he's leaving. So it kind of starts from the end. Yeah. So he's leaving her his mom after having come out, but you don't know that at first in the yeah. in the film. You just see like a really awkward or a bittersweet goodbye mm-hmm. where he's like goodbye mom and she's and almost ignoring him a little bit pretty much yeah. yeah she's just really tragic she's like it feels like something <laughs> happened like There's someone died again yeah <laughs> and and someone died which is the her heterosexual son that she thought she had yeah <laughs> you know no, that's a, very it's good a new person yeah. yeah so that's why i wanted to make it very melodramatic in that sense you know with with a headscarf and the sunglasses, like to make it very stylish. And, and she's played by the guy from your first film. Yeah, and Jeff Christian yeah. again. So he's playing, but this time we had to work um, very hard on 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 rehearsing how to behave like a woman rather than a drag queen. Yeah. So we have to sort of tone down all the all the campness that comes with his uh, drag persona. Because in in the context of the film he's playing a woman he's not playing a man playing the woman exactly yeah pretty much what divine did for yeah all of them yeah yeah, yeah all, of them. all of them yeah, yeah i divine think never played a a woman playing the, a man playing the woman no no she's he, always a a a female character yeah that's yeah, it. yeah uh but i think with with having a, a, a male uh, actor playing female you can get away with so many things you can um make people think more uh, so from my perspective i think single moms are in a heteronormative society they play both roles in a family they play the father and the mother yeah so to me that's that was the main point why i chose jeff to play um my mom that's really interesting i, I hadn't yeah. considered that yeah but uh, of course once before. you make it it becomes part of the audience as well so you can read it in a t- completely different way and yeah. it doesn't matter some people think like is she transgender? I'm like, no, because if she were a transgender woman, uh, she wouldn't be able to have a son. Or maybe she had a son who was given birth by her, his previous, you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, partner. So but you, you wrote it on your, your notebook? I wrote it on my notebook. And from then from there, how do you go from notebook to so I had 40 film festivals around the world? Yeah, so I went... So I think uh, like a year passed and I was in my final year at university and I had done a few fashion films and I loved doing them, but I felt that it was time for me to jump into making uh, a bigger piece of narrative, yeah. like a small piece like of a fiction cinema, film. fiction film. And and then I started uh, researching again and then I went back to this notebook and then I, I read these this few pages that I had written about this time of my life that was so important, I was like, I could really envision it. Like I was, this is so cinematic. Like I would love to make a film that starts like this, like a, a, a goodbye scene between a, a son and a mother. And you just don't know why the mother is so, being so bitter about no. it. Like she's basically not talking to him and you just don't know why. And, and the son is more like, you know, kisses her on the cheek. And like all of that was written in my notebook. Mm-hmm. And then from there then on, I started writing 
what became out and um i did sorry you asked me about the kickstarter campaign and <laughs> went on right. and on about <laughs> everything else but kickstarter um but yeah i'll get on to that so i for my final major project at uni i decided to make a short film but make it very stylish because mm. i was afraid that the teachers would mark me down if i if i was sort of getting away from fashion so much and if on on the fourth year of my uh, university degree i became kind of like in a love-hate relationship with fashion because i was like did you feel constrained by it yeah because it's always been a very exclusive industry and like it's almost like you have to uh, the only way for me to be in fashion in fashion in a way was to like i was working so many hours a week so that i could pay for uni yeah and and then you you can't afford fashion <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know it's like point, yeah you know, and i was like why am i do i even want to be part of this but at the same time style is it it's about saying who you are without speaking you know it's like the way you dress it says a lot about you and your personality mm. and what you like what you don't and where you fit in or where you don't fit in or where you don't want to even fit in um so yeah that was always been part of my interests in fashion and that's why i don't conceive my characters and my films to be non-stylish like i all i all i think the wardrobe department is very very important and the production design and stuff like that did so you yeah. take that role on for out or did you get someone else in no i actually did take on that role yeah. and i i because i saw that xavier dolan whom i admire very much also does that or he he used to do it in his early films i'm not sure if he's still if he's still doing it but he was often i imagine now he's got the budget he can i think shift so yeah. off. but i think he enjoys that yeah. as well which i also did like i i went all around london checking every single charity shop until i found the clothes that mary was supposed to wear this oh, wow. middle-aged woman from the english countryside <laughs> who was kind of like my mom but like an exaggerated version blah blah yeah, and like I enjoyed um, buying the wigs and going out with with Jeff and trying them on, and you know, like it was just fun. Like yeah. the whole, I really enjoyed the whole process. And then we get to the Kickstarter campaign. I realized early on that it was a very ambitious project, and that I couldn't, it couldn't be done in a one two day shoot like all my previous shorts. And I started planning. And I was like, okay, this is gonna be like a week long shoot oh, really was it that long so it was seven days in Fuck. total uh non-stop we didn't have a a, a day to rest and um, i ended up i was like a zombie on set <laughs> i i was only sleeping three hours a day i was driving one of the vans i was <coughs> dropping off one of the actors home who lived in essex at the time and um where did you shoot it? The, i shot all the interiors in various places in london yeah including um my flat at the time one of the a flat that belonged to one of the actresses who plays the grand grandmother easy brooks oh, yeah yeah easy brooks davis the crazy lady with the nurse yeah, yeah yeah that's it and uh she was very kind to let us shoot in her kitchen and her living room and there's a few scenes there her bedroom as well and then all the exteriors are in uh, shot in y which is a tiny it's spelled w-y-e Oh, okay. And it's a um, tiny village in Kent. Okay. Which is beautiful. So, yeah. How did you find that? I, I did a weekend. I rented a car with my uh, DOP, uh, cinematographer, Rafael Bujosa. You just drove about looking? We drove uh, around 
places near enough to London so that we could drive on the day. So just outside the M25? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Somewhere we could drive in like within less than two hours. Okay. That was like our goal. And we <laughs> drove around um, um, Surrey mainly and then Kent. And then when we went to this village, it kind of like it ticked all the boxes. It was beautiful. It was quiet. It, it had like beautiful backgrounds and settings mm. and people were really friendly. Um, we went to like sort of like the mayor office to like speak to him and say, you know, would, would you be okay with us shooting here and bringing a small crew? Wow. And they were like beyond happy and like... Uh, probably you know. glad that someone from the big city wants to see him. Yeah, yeah, they were like, oh, wow, like, thank you so much for choosing our <laughs> lovely town to shoot. And everybody just really uh, were so friendly, like people on the street. Um, a bus driver let us shoot on the bus. And like, That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Was that you just flagged the bus down or...? We did, yeah. We we just did it in different takes, and uh, we did like guerrilla filmmaking. So I, I made everyone believe that we had a bus coming, but we didn't <laughs> have the we didn't have the budget for it. Brilliant. So only a couple of people said knew that we didn't have a bus, and then somebody started asking like, "So when is the bus coming?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's coming later." I'm like, I just have to coordinate that, and then until we we got to the time that we had to shoot the bus scene, and then it was like, okay, so. There's a bus coming every half an hour. <coughs> <laughs> so first we shoot um, the bus coming and stopping. So you stop it and then you let the bus driver just go. And then in a different... So we did like two takes of that. And then and on then a different take... we the camera we, wide to get the... Yeah, and then... Yeah, exactly. That's and so then we went, we went inside the bus and we just got on the bus and then started to shoot the inside scenes of the bus. And it's just, it's just Ollie sat... On the, I mean, there's no talking or anything, is there? Yeah, yeah. No, it's no, just no. Ollie It's just there. him, yeah. I, I did that years ago. I was making this film called Catch the Demon, and um, it had uh, Gene Simmons mm -hmm. from Kiss, but not the real Gene Simmons, a guy dressed yeah. up like Gene Simmons, um, and Adolf Hitler having a relationship. Okay. So the, the film opens with... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the film opens with Hitler um, getting ready in the morning, and we mm -hmm. see that his life's really shit since the war. Yeah. And... Um, it was just a guy called Liam that I put in my black Karl Lagerfeld jacket with mm. a swastika on his <laughs> wow. arm, yeah, uh, a little painted moustache on. Yeah. And I said to him, okay, so we're going to stand here. I want you to stop the bus, but I want you to Nazi salute oh, to, no, stop, yeah, the bus. to stop the bus. Yeah. So he did that, and then we got on the bus, and I just we just filmed. We didn't ask permission. Yeah. We just filmed with him dressed as Hitler yeah. and Chris dressed as gene simmons you just have to do it yeah yeah i mean you can't uh, you can't do those sort of things sometimes in 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 london or in bigger yeah. cities because they charge you to i don't know to breathe people need <laughs> air it's like <laughs> you have to you have to pay um people are too media savvy in in london here. yeah they think Even that anything you do or they see a camera they think that you're taking um like a big you know salary at the end even of when i'm like, just walking around with my my DSLR, just mm -hmm. doing some street photography, or you know, just just having it in my hand. Yeah, I can feel the the the, the environment, the energy changes because people yeah. people are really savvy to it, and then yeah. security guards always clock me. Yeah, yeah. And there was, do you have permission to be here? Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's the fucking street. Yeah, you, you don't actually. You don't need that permission to shoot on a street in London. No, no. If you put sticks down, you uh, do. Yeah. If yeah. you if you have a tripod, yeah, you do. I know. Um. I never have a tripod. Yeah. <laughs> um, so from, so from, get waiting for the bus each 
you yeah. know, every half hour. So yeah, we, we did the Kickstarter campaign. Yes, that which, was it. Which that was the I didn't, never question, even answered. <laughs> oh my god! How yeah. much did you raise? Terrible. Um, I'm terrible. Yeah, I can't sum up. Um, <laughs> we raised as over seven thousand pounds. That's fucking in mental. twenty-three days in total. I think our someone told me that I was the first student at the University of the Arts London to create a Kickstarter campaign in order to fund his final major project. Were you, were you, like I've never done a Kickstarter campaign because I just, I just think it would fail. I have that kind of, yeah, it, did you, it was terrifying. It was yeah. terrifying. I, I did a, a really extensive, extensive uh, research on other film projects that had got successful on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Now, the main difference between Kickstarter and Indiegogo is that Kickstarter, you get it all or nothing. So if you set up your goal to be 7,000, like if it, it was my case, if you don't get, if you get, you know, 6,999, 6, 9, 9, yeah, yeah. yeah, like you don't get <laughs> you it. You don't get it. It just all, goes back all to the All the people. money goes back to the people who um, invested it and then you don't get anything. However, if you do get it, then obviously Kickstarter get their commission, which yeah. was pretty high. I didn't realize at the time that it was that high. How much um, did they get? I can't remember, but a few hundred pounds. Yeah. Wow. But I remember having included those few hundred pounds in the budget. And I was like, oh, shit. That's very clever. <laughs> yeah. That's very clever. I didn't think about it at the time. Yeah. So I was very naive. And um, yeah, um, it, it's all about getting it out there, explaining to people before you even launch the campaign that you're doing it, why you're doing it, where the money is going. And um, and yeah, it was basically explaining to people that it was not a fashion film anymore. It was a piece of narrative and that I wanted to and get closer and closer to the filmmakers that I admire and therefore it was just a natural step forward or a step yeah. up and a, and a huge learning curve for me. It also felt very uh, vulnerable to tell such a personal story um, even though I did research and I did interview a few other people from different parts of the world including as far as Australia. Oh wow. Just to they? see, just just yeah, random uh, people, yeah, like um, friends or friends of friends, uh, who had come out to their parents in a small town context. Because mm -hmm. I wanted to make it as universal as possible, and then I realized that all our stories, from Spain to England to India to Australia, they weren't that different. Yeah, you know, at the end at of the, the core day, of it, it's, it's the, the core same of story. it. It was like we all felt at some point that our mothers, in particular, looked at us as if we were we were different from the moment that you come out. And it's like, but you knew it. I asked for that Madonna album for Christmas, you know, that time. <laughs> it's like, what's straight about that? <laughs> but anyway. And um So how do you how do you get it out there? What what did you get it on blogs or so did you I did get it on uh, on Pink News in London. I, oh okay. I, yeah, I got it on on a couple of local newspapers in my hometown. Um I got it out on the uh, University of the Arts uh, website or like blog, yeah. London College of Fashion. They tweeted about it. Then artists that I had met before um, with my previous films, like Rosie De Palma, who gave me the award that you photographed earlier. Uh -huh. She's one of Almodovar's uh, lead actresses. Um, the Red Award. The yeah, red yeah one. that one. As yeah. both. So w I had met her and then she gave me the music for another film that I made later before Out title it melts and so anyway sh i sent it to her and she was kind enough to retweet it to like 
I don't know how many thousands, thousands of followers thousands. Yeah. So I did manage to like get it out there, but it was very hard work. Yeah. And, um, it's a, I've heard when people do a Kickstarter campaign, it is a full-time job. It is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember being <coughs> um just jumping from job to job and like it was a very tough time in in the sense of like I didn't have like a regular income. Yeah. Um cuz you were still a student. I was still a student yeah. and uh, I I had left my sort of like part-time job and then I was doing like one week work there, a weekend there, a weekend Oh, so here. you were just sort of freelancing or... Yeah, or yeah, pretty what, much. What like were you doing? doing like, like I, I did some waiting jobs as well. I oh, okay, like that kind of work. Okay, Reception yeah. jobs, like um, uh, maternity cover and this and that. Like I, I didn't really have... And then, of course, during the, the shooting of Out, I think I had some holidays booked. and I can't remember, but I, I did manage to free myself from, yeah. from, from work because it... it making a short film is really a full-time job like not yeah. only the kickstarter campaign but also the actual uh, preparation the recce you know the location scouting the last one i did shooting permits casting the last one i did when was it end of 2010 mm -hmm. i just worked myself into the ground really i was working yeah. a full-time job at a company called unite it's a mm -hmm. um, student accommodation so i was like the uh -huh. manager of the, the site yeah i turned the the office there mm -hmm. into my production office yeah i just worked myself into the ground because it, it is it's more it's more than a full-time job yeah it's it becomes your life yeah and it's all encompassing you can run away from raining <laughs> sorry you can run away from it yeah. you can't you can't because it's in your head yeah it's in your head like um the film i'd made previous mm -hmm. if i was just lying down chilling out with my boyfriend at the time he would say to me stop thinking about the film because yeah. i could just see my eyes were glazed over and in my head I was editing the film or yeah. I was thinking about a scene. Yeah. It's it's really hard to switch off, yeah, isn't it? It's, it's an obsession. Yeah. You yeah. can't. <laughs> Things went really well without. Yeah. It seemed to hit a nerve because it went to 40 international film festivals mm -hmm. and it won, it won awards. It has been nominated for quite important awards. Yeah. I think one of the most important important ones was when it premiered in in Spain yeah. at the festival, the Cine de Alicante. So it's Alicante International Film Festival. Okay. And it from that, it qualifies. Had I got an award, it would qualify for the Goya Awards, which are the equivalent to the BAFTAs in Amazing. Spain. Yeah. <laughs> so I met some really good contacts in there without even realizing who they were um like you know important producers and stuff and like at least i'm now like on the radar they're not gonna change your life in a, in the way that you still have to work hard and like yeah work hard on your projects like i'm still doing but yeah it it, it it did really well yeah and it took me to places that i had never even dreamt of of going it also premiered in belgrade in a festival in a queer film festival called um merlinka uh, and it took me to serbia which is a lovely country and I made really good friends there as well. And I but ordinarily, why would you ever go to Serbia? Um, well, yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, now exactly. I'm like, yeah, so I good. love it. it. Yeah. It took you to a place that you'd never been before. Exactly, yeah. Um, I loved it, definitely. And then it also got me selected as a Berlinale talent. So it's a program organized by Berlinale, Berlin International Film Festival that is really prestigious and is the biggest that I have ever been to. Uh, so it was very overwhelming. But talk, talk to me about 
burning burning out say say again burning, burning out talent talent yeah, yeah. I, I've never I mean, I've heard about that for years I and think it used to I've be never been able to pronounce it I think it is formally known as Berlinale Campus or Talent Campus something like that yeah. yeah it's similar to Sundance Labs yeah, yeah yeah it's very similar so they have labs as well for short films at, and for um, feature films I think it's called short short film station and script stations uh, anyway yeah <laughs> so th- there are labs there are like um development and um networking and so yeah they invite uh 250 filmmakers from all over all around the world directors or producers or editors uh, or? from all the, the the whole array of filmmaking so okay. yeah everything producers editors actors as well uh and they um you have to be within your first 10 years of your career Okay. So, but to, in order to apply, you have to have had at least one short film premiering at an international film festival. Okay. So is that how they, they judge it? Because, you know, I've been making films mm-hmm. and, and, and creative stuff since, you know, the late 90s. Yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't qualify in that respect. But what way would I qualify? When does that 10 years start? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I guess when, when your films start getting screened in okay. places. And like, that makes yeah. sense then. Yeah, so you could like, I don't know. Just want to tell them about the early ones. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, yeah, the application is very... Um, I remember doing it and thinking, oh, God, this is so personal. Like, And then I thought, this is good. Like, If they don't select me, I'm, it's just not meant to be. And what if things they are they asking? What, what personal things are they asking? Everything is like uh, what uh, cinema means to you and blah, blah. And I, th- I think I probably I remember talking about how it became a refuge for me, or like a shelter when my when my dad left. And I had this all about my mother uh, DVD that Your I kept on watching cinema. on my home cinema. Yeah. So my <coughs> home cinema was a, a shelter, you know, this place that I would uh, take refuge in. And, and, and that was cinema. And that was maybe to make it even more melodramatic. It was like a. <laughs> Uh, a substitute of my own dad you know very good <laughs> my, my dad's absence became uh filled by cinema and, and dvds became your dad yeah pretty yeah. much and i'm glad i learned so much more <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that lasted what a, a week over in berlin uh or was it yeah a that lasts for uh, an entire, week, an entire du- week during the berlin film festival and they they pay for you to go over there and they uh, you get so I, I went with the UK delegation. So the British Film Council uh, gives you some some pocket money one, uh-huh. one, once you're there. And I think all the other sort of governments or institutions do that with the with their filmmakers. But they uh, pay they pay for your flights and your food. Well, and your I think hotel. my flight was like as soon as I got selected, I booked a flight and it was like fifty euro with like oh, Ryanair. Yeah, and then I Classy. got like um like a hundred or hundred and twenty euro from the uh, British Film Council Towards people. like a hotel and stuff? Uh, no, the hotel, uh, sorry, the hostel where you stay in uh, with all the Berlin Italians is the same one in the area of Mitte in Berlin. Okay. And um, it's for all the Berlin Italians. So you don't have to pay for accommodation. Wow. So basically the money that you get... So it's near the Sony Center in... It's Alexanderplatz. Yeah, very near yeah. Alexanderplatz. Yeah, very, very near. Walking distance. I love that sunny sense. So, that big thing in the middle. Yeah. Big purple. It's like a needle. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it it's is, cool. Yeah. This tower. On the way there, was it was it overwhelming? Did you feel when you when you left 
that mm. you had had grown or what sort of things you had you learned yeah, it, it was huge for me and i remember um like putting it on facebook i'm really happy like oh my god like i just been invited for this and if i remember like, on facebook it hasn't happened exactly yeah uh and then i realized how many uh film people i already had in my contacts and like because my partner studied at the national film and tv school for two years he did an MA there mm-hmm. in visual effects he's become my my greatest collaborator he i can't do anything without him he's he listens to my ideas from uh, very early on he's the he's been the editor of most of my films he also does color grading and visual effects so we're a great combo together and then thanks to him being in that school which i used to visit like every other weekend and i spent hours at the bar (laughs) i met many 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 people who i have collaborated with um you know editors and yeah game vfx people mm. like my friend sarah sarah Byers, um and many other people so yeah i realized that thanks to all these experiences and the, all the other films that i had made including out i i had this really important network of 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 really good um artists and and, and technicians and like you know um and then once I, I put it out there, like, oh, I'm going to Berlin at Talents. And then a lot of people started saying, oh, this is huge. Like, you're going to meet so many people. <laughs> and and then once I, I got the program and I saw the kind of people that we, we were about to have master classes with, I was just blown away. And I was Who like, oh, my they? God. Which people? I had master classes with Darren Aronofsky, wow. Claudia Yosa, and people like that. And I was like... I cannot believe like these people are coming to talk to us. Yeah, they're not just any old filmmakers. And they treat you like you are the future of cinema. They take a portrait of you. I remember Canon was a sponsor, so like part of the induction process was you get your portrait taken and like and then they put it up on the wall in a, in like a various place of of the Berlinale okay, festival yeah. and um and the and the place where the networking takes place and all the workshops and and talks and all these kind of things and it's like you know it's kind of like the future stars of cinema of tomorrow and like you see your portrait like a, like a future stars walk of fame yeah that kind of thing so they make you feel a little bit more special and yeah like, and uh, to me it was really life-changing because that's what truly they make you own what you do and they say do not uh, ever feel embarrassed to say i'm a director i'm an actor I'm a producer. Um, I remember a girl telling me off because I said, I'm a director, but I've only done shorts. And she was like, only? How difficult <laughs> is it to make a short? I'm like, very. You did this earlier when yeah. I said to you, where are your awards? And you said, I've only got three. As if like, <laughs> that's not enough. Yeah. You've got three awards <laughs> from international film festivals. Yeah, I that's don't know. That's wonderful. It is wonderful, yeah. And it's, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm very naturally humble, and I, but I'm very ambitious at the same time. So I, I it's kind of like um, opposed ideas of oneself, and like at the same time, like I'm very proud of what I've done in the past. But I'm, I still, I want to do so much more, and I want to learn so much more, and I feel like I have so much to learn. That at the same time, it's like, uh yeah, I've done all of this, which is great, but um, it could be better, or you know, I I want to do more. And I wouldn't change anything that I've done in the past, but I want to take the things that I'm learning into my future projects and just and just grow bigger with time. I guess it's only natural. But yeah, I'm not. I don't consciously say only. 
I guess it's, I don't know, it's part of my personality. But I no longer say I've only done short. It's more about, yeah, I've done this short. I've gone international attention. They've been shown all around the world. And it got you to Berlin. Yeah, it got me to Berlin, to Belgrade, to Cape Town, to Canada. You know, like to so many places that I've never even... Yeah, the one to in... To Alicante. The one in, <laughs> the one in, was it the one in Canada? Canada. Mm-hmm. The, they showed all your shorts. You had a retrospective. Oh, uh, no, that was in Athens. In Athens. Last month, yeah, in, in at the Athens Museum of Queer Arts. Amoka. They, they just showed all your shorts? All my queer shorts, yeah. Which how, did are that, how did that come about? That's amazing. I, I actually wrote to them, believe it oh, or wow. not. You said, will you show my shorts? No, I said, hi, I'm going to be in Athens for a few days. I was going on a, on a holiday with, with my friends. And I have two friends, Sandra and Olga, who have also collaborated with me in the past. And, uh, and they are from Athens. I met them at uni and really good friends of mine. So we're going on holidays with them and we're staying in Athens for like four nights. And I said, oh, I'm going to be in Athens from, you know, in those dates in July. And I'm a filmmaker and I, you know, these are a few films that I think you might be interested in. Would you be interested in like doing a screening or are you planning on running a screening night or do you know of anyone who is? Um, to my surprise, a few days later, they got back to me really friendly and enthusiastic and saying, we loved all the things that you sent us. Brilliant. Like the whole team uh, or part of the team watched it and we want to um, turn it into a short film night just for you. I'm like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I created crazy. the flyer and everything and we promoted and then it was full house. It was a yeah, real success. Like a lot of people came. I had like an international audience. A few brilliant. people who are really into us they were in the city for Documenta, which is a very um, famous like um, um, art festival uh-huh. that happens simultaneously in Germany and in, in Athens this year. I think they take it to different cities. So yeah, like some people just found out about just the, off, off, the off screening the back of that. through Facebook or yeah. it, it was shown in a few like websites like cultural things to do in Athens, blah, blah. So it was brilliant. That's really cool. That's what what sort of reaction from the crowd? Uh, I, I got uh, asked a lot of questions about out mainly, about uh-huh. my art- artistic choices, about why I was using a male character, a male actor to play a female character. Um, the Eggplant, which is my latest short, uh-huh. the people asked about that as well. Um, it's cute that one yeah yeah that one you can that one of of all of them that's the one that is the most uh amadova i feel it? yeah oh, okay. yeah just just for me for for from a an english mm-hmm. ear mm-hmm. i have to, obviously I, I i can listen to pedro amadova films but i have to read them because they're all yeah, in yeah. spanish spanish people speak so fast fast I there's know. such a it's like it's like we don't breathe between words. There's no like space. You don't breathe at all. You take you've taken one breath in the eighties and you're still talking <laughs> now. Yeah. But it's like the way that your actress mm-hmm. speaks is exactly that kind of rhythm. That's that's very interesting. Yeah, and I guess they are uh, both of the actresses, uh, mm-hmm. Stefania and Sandra. They are both uh, very close friends of mine, and I wrote the script thinking of them for them. Um, based on their own experiences on dating apps 
Oh, wow. Uh, not only them, but a few of my other uh, female friends and, and, yeah, and gay friends too. Like, we're all... I think everybody has uh, sort of troubles in this day and age um, in the sense of like finding a partner because there's so much choice out, out there yeah. and it's as easy and difficult and, and as opening an app and like having all this choice, <laughs> like just talking to people and having endless dates that they end up in, in meaningless sex sometimes. And this was sort of like the starting point to write the eggplant, uh-huh. but I wanted to give it like a funny... Um, tone like a punchline like punchline at the end so I can't you know, obviously we can't talk about it because it would ruin it was it but shot here? it was yeah we're in the same I've just realised I'm sat where am I sat where Ollie was in the film? yeah you are actually yeah <laughs> <laughs> same table same kitchen here's a question for you is queer cinema dead? I don't think it's dead no I would never say that there is it's not as strong as the the new queer cinema movement of the early 90s that happened mm-hmm. with, um, again, Almodovar, uh, Todd Haynes, Gus Van Sant, uh, John Waters was also part of it. Was uh, he? With his later, yeah, with oh, his I later suppose, career. Yeah, with like yeah. My Baby and onwards. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It was still queer. Yeah. Um, Greg Araki. is also part of it, who I love. I love Mysterious Skin. Yeah. Um, especially. So, yeah, I don't think it's dead, but... Um, I think we need to push more. Uh, I, 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 I still remember a time where uh, you could go to the cinema and you had a choice of queer films. Uh, and nowadays it doesn't happen as often. Um, only most recently something that has hit uh, some sort of mainstream success was Moonlight. But let's not forget that it took Barry Jenkins 10 years to make mm-hmm. and that it was made on peanuts for, for that kind of film. It was made of, I think, for under half million dollars in comparison to La La Land which had like 14 million dollars or something like that budget or 20 I don't know something crazy so yeah there's still a huge gap in terms of funding opportunities and stories being told and represented on screen so it's not that it's very well alive we just aren't given the right opportunities do you think queer cinema in that in that respect has lost its bite it's lost its anger uh, maybe it's got something to do with it. Yeah, good question. Because we, we've we achieved so much um, over the past decades. I mean, not not myself. I haven't had to go on, on, on riots like Stonewall or anything like that. But so many people that I'm so, we're so grateful for fought so much for us um, that um, we kind of got comfortable. Like it's, um, you know, we can't get married. We can, we have pretty much the same rights. But... I think in in laws is quite advanced, but society is always a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. And I think cinema is yeah. such a powerful uh, tool to like open minds and to inspire younger generations. Um, but yeah, I'm very hopeful with younger generations, um, even younger than us, because they are they are not so much into la- labeling. You know, like they are breaking labels down, and I think that's yeah. wonderful. They're like. I'm neither gay, I'm nor straight. Like I'm just myself. I'm yeah, a person. Do you or think, in that respect, the gender as well? We don't need queer film in in that respect. It, it won't even be called queer film. Yeah, maybe we don't. Yeah, I mean, I still struggle with the idea of um, having to submit my films to queer film festivals. Like, why? Why that? Does there is there a need to have the BFI flair? There yeah. is still. 
of course, because you get to see much more queer cinema. I, I really hope that the London BFI Film Festival, for example, had or was more open to queer films. I mean, they yeah. do include some in their program, but it's still not like, should be maybe like 50-50 or just included in there. There shouldn't even be like a section for like queer. Like, because at the, at the end of the day, we're all the time like sort of being segregated. But you feel sometimes with film, it's not so much that it's a queer film in the Greg Araki or John Waters sense. Mm -hmm. It's a queer film in the, this is the genre that it's been put in. It's almost like queer films, not a movement anymore. It's a genre. Yeah. You see, that's the thing that I struggle the most with, uh, to call queer a genre. I don't think it's a genre because, I don't know, when with my short film out, to me it's a relationship between a mother and a son. That's it. And the son just happens to be gay. And because of the society that we live in or they live in in the story, um, they're worried about what people say or might think and blah, blah. And therefore, it becomes a drama. Mm. But it's unfair to even have to come out. Why do we have to come out? And straight people don't. You know, there's no straight people sitting down and going, you know, there's no women going, you know what? I sleep with men. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's... People assume that you are straight. Yeah. And I guess until that disappears, and I think it's disappearing more and more, um, then... Yeah, we'll eventually we will not need to um, say queer as a genre. I think it's just drama or comedy or horror. But yeah, people seem to like um, to add the queer element to it. You know, like it's a queer drama, mm. it's a queer comedy, it's a queer horror. Gay actor or a gay actor. He's yeah, an it's actor. Like, gay. It's an actor. Do you ever get called a gay filmmaker? Uh yeah, sometimes, I guess. Yeah. I think I remember talking about my, uh, we were talking about like day jobs earlier. My m current manager asked me recently, oh, you, how was Greece? And oh, yeah, it was great. And he said, oh, did you go on holidays or something to, to do with your film? So they already know what I do. Yeah. And they show some interest sometimes, which I appreciate. And he went, and, and I said, yeah, I, I actually had a screening at the, Athens Museum of Queer Arts and then he heard the word queer and he was like oh oh what do you mean queer as in gay <laughs> because so you're a gay filmmaker then because he hasn't seen anything that I've ah. done like uh and I was like looking at him weird like uh yes I guess so but <laughs> I'm like I don't know what what does being a gay filmmaker mean I'm like I mean I'm not having sex while <laughs> while shooting you know like i'm just i'm just doing are you too tired yeah maybe i'm too tired yeah <laughs> but it's true but they don't refer to chris nolan as straight filmmaker christopher nolan making his straight war film dunkirk exactly yeah but they would always refer to john waters as queer filmmaker or yeah greg Araki, or maybe maybe greg Araki and, and and gus van sant because they're so connected to that movement maybe yeah yeah I don't know. I guess the the movement has to exist, and and it, and it is it is still important to talk about it. So yeah, I'm not a, I don't hate the word or anything like that, mm -hmm. and I don't mind it at all. Uh, I just I guess I I would love to live in a world where where it's not separated. You know, the same way that we have straight friends and gay friends. I, they're just my friends. I don't yeah. think of them as their sexuality or they, their gender. They're just even. people you like. They're just people I like and I like to be around with. Is there a difference between a, a gay film and a queer film? Mm. 
Yes, possibly. I think queer is about the sensibility involved. So a queer film could be actually a story um, about a heterosexual couple. I think, for example, my my short uh, La Berenjena, The Eggplant, I would say it's a queer short because I question heterosexuality. Yeah. And uh, when you watch it, then you understand why. But um, but I'm 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 portraying heterosexual people. You know, all the characters are heterosexual. So I don't know. Um, I guess it, a, a gay film would be when the characters are gay or lesbian. For the longest time, I think maybe my my opinion is changing. I always felt a a queer film was something like you said that had such a queer sensibility mm-hmm. that it was undeniably queer mm-hmm. like a John Waters film or a Greg Araki film yeah and then a gay film was something like Brokeback Mountain okay where yeah. it wasn't necessarily Moonlight would fall into this as well mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily made by gay people yeah but it was aimed at gay people I think it was marketed at yeah I think that's the difference that sometimes all these words and labels come because of marketing Oh, and, un- and, uh, un- undoubtedly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they try to, like, market... So who is the audience going to be? Like, they almost try to, like, find the audience before letting it find its audience in yeah. an organic way. Like, which is what happened with Moonlight. It started... It was more like word of mouth. Uh, it started playing in, like, festivals and having, like, good reviews and people would talk about it. And I remember seeing the trailer, like, months and months before it hit cinemas. And I just could not wait to to watch it. It was I was like I'm so mesmerized by these Did you enjoy images. It? Yeah, and I loved it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I watched it at the lo- London I think I need Film to see Festival. it again. Have you seen it since the cinema? No, and I watched it at the at its UK premiere at the London Film Festival. Oh really? And Barry Jenkins, Janelle Monae, um, um, well, all the main cast and crew were there, they including were there. the writer, and they all came out at the end of the film, did a Q and A. And and that I liked it even more because I guess when they explain to you and you can see that every single person involved did it because they put their whole heart and soul into it. Like Naomi Harris, I think mm. she was shooting for three days. James Bond at the yeah. time, and she, she was could doing, only she was doing press for James Bond or, or press. Yeah, yeah. I, she did say she was really really busy and that they had some problems with the visa and blah blah. So she could only get to the states for three days. Yeah, and apparently they That's also crazy. didn't really have more budget to. To shoot more, but the fact that she did that performance I in know, three yeah. days, it's you know it's set over, it's probably set over a twenty year period, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. there's three, she's doing three it, different decades in, crazy, in three days. It? It's mind blowing. Cool. So if you want to see the portraits that I've just shot of Jesus, head to www.sftl.photos and also subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We always end on a quiz, so <laughs> I'm going to give you a quote. Uh huh. You need to tell me which queer film it comes from. Number one, give yourself over to absolute pleasure. Oh, wow. Give yourself over to absolute pleasure. pleasure. That sounds, it sounds very hedonistic. It could be <laughs> like a phrase from Divine. I don't know. But I can't remember. Similar that. era. Similar it was actually era. sung. It's a lyric from a musical. Ah, okay. Give yourself over to absolute pleasure. Oh, okay. Listeners it's, are screaming. They yes, know what it's it is. probably, um, yeah. Um, ah, I know it. Uh, Should I tell you? No. The Rocky <laughs> Horror Picture Show. Boom. You got yes. it. Yes. 
<laughs> I was thinking of someone hedonistic and, you know. This one's a bit of a longer one. Yes, I wear foundation. Yes, I live with a man. Yes, I'm a middle-aged fag. But I know who I am. It took me 20 years to get here. And I'm not going to let some idiot senator destroy that. Fuck the senator. I don't give a damn what he thinks. I love it. But I can't. <laughs> I don't know now. It's the birdcage. The birdcage. Okay, I haven't seen you it. You haven't seen it? No. Brilliant. Brilliant film. Okay. Mike Nichols. He directed that one. When normal people have a heart, Neil McCormick has a bottomless black hole. And if you don't watch out, you can fall in and get lost forever. That is uh, Mysterious Skin. Well yeah. done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cologne is for weddings, not funerals. <laughs> That's a funny one. <laughs> oh, I don't know, actually. Cologne is for weddings. Uh, it could also be divine. <laughs> I don't know, actually. Uh, it's Tom at the farm. Oh, Tom at the farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. the brother says that to him. The brother, yeah. yeah. And then there's this one. Apparently, he was a transvestite. Oh, he sold his body at night and he was trafficking drugs all over this very town. <laughs> that is my own short film <laughs> out. Yeah. 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 I um, wrote that. Sorry? You wrote <laughs> that. I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so bad if you got that one wrong. Can you imagine? You'd be like, I've not seen that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Wicked. Jesus, thank you so much. I've taken over your flat. I've taken over your whole day. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you for inviting me, for coming to take a few portraits. I hope I look good in them. Always. Nobody ever looks crap in my photo. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's been really, really fun and, um, and I loved it. And thank you for doing this. Thank you. This is how we always end it. I've been Robert Gershenson. And I'm Jesus Lopez. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We'll shoot you later.